I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome to a February edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the Garden Advisory Team. Later in this podcast, I'll be joining my colleagues to try and solve some of your seasonal gardening problems. We'll also be discussing wonderful winter walks, new partner gardens to visit around the UK and an opportunity for young gardeners to show off their horticultural talents. But first, perfect plant propagation. The propagation team here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey plays a vital role supplying all the garden teams with the plants they need for beds, borders and seasonal displays. The team is in the process of moving to brand new facilities at the moment and our producers went to meet them to have a guided tour and to hear expert tips on various propagation techniques that could literally help you make more of your plants. Hi, my name is Sam Gallivan and I am the team leader of the nursery and propagation team at RHS Gardens Wisley. And at the moment we are standing in our brand new propagation unit which has moved to Wisley Village just outside the gardens themselves. We have four glass houses of about equal size. That's going to enable us to have four areas of different temperature. And also we have an area where we can store all our equipment. We have a mess room down here for the team. And also we have an area which is the potting area. That is going to be for us to do all our potting, cleaning, sorting, doing cuttings and things. But it also means for the first time in many years, we won't be actually working under glass anymore. We have a purpose-built area for us to actually do our work. In here, because we've we moved the plants down quite recently, they're having their winter pinch, so we've got a lot of tender perennials in here. And these are going to be for the garden teams to plant up uh, this summer. And so the guys at the moment are pinching back the tenders. And we have probably do this about three or four times in the winter months. And it's just to keep them growing low and tight so that you end up with a nice bushy plant for them to take out into the garden around late May, early June. You can either use fingertip, you can use pinching with your finger and thumb, or you can use secateurs or the little tiny little snips that you can buy from plant centres. And all they're doing is they're just taking the plants down to maybe one set of leaves where the plant is actually branched. So it's just to encourage this low, low growth. 
all gone very quiet now. Um, and this house that we're in at the moment, it's rather empty at the moment, but give it another couple months and this will fill up. So this is our propagation unit. And we have a, a small mist line and it has a base heat underneath. And that just helps us when we want to get cuttings struck so we can actually put them on there. And the mist will stop the, the cuttings from drying out too much. And the heat will encourage them to root more evenly and quicker. And we also do put seeds on there as well. So we had to get that ready because this is the first week we're down here. At the end of this week, the plan is that we will start the first sowings of some of our plants. So we'll be looking at doing primulas for one of the teams. They've requested them. So um, we like to get the primulas started a little bit earlier because they will tolerate the shorter days. And it's a little bit cooler as well. And then from then on, we will be seed sowing right the way through till about May in readiness for the guys to take the plants out into the garden in June. <laughs> they're, they're, they're doing a bit of a workout at the moment. So at the moment we're in the potting area. We've got a large potting area now which is a lot bigger than we're used to. And the noise you can hear is the main door being opened. We have a large door which hopefully will eventually be electronic. And that is going to be used really for um, large deliveries to come in, people to drop off plants for us to pot up. It just makes everything a lot more accessible. But also here we'll have our potting benches, we'll have our propagation benches, all our compost will be undercover for the first time ever. So it means that we won't, the compost won't be getting all sodden and wet, it'll be nice and dry for us to use. And also it won't get frosted in the winter and it comes in like a huge ice block and we have to wait for it to thaw. Um, and then if we're coming through to the next bit, and I'll shut the door. There we go. What we're in now is this is our storage area for all our tools and equipment. And again, it's larger than we're used to, and it means that we'll be able to keep all our pots once we wash them, because we do recycle all our plastic pots we will be able to wash them, dry them and actually put them up on shelving rather than leaving them outside which defeats the object when you've just cleaned them. Uh, so we'll be able to actually put them up on benching, we'll be able to keep them dry and they'll be there on hand when we need them and also all our other bits and pieces as well just making sure that we've got everything to hand as we need them. I've been at the RHS now for uh, nearly 23 years and so the facilities that we've left I saw them when they were actually quite modern. But for me now, I think just the main thing is it's going to mean that I'm going to have to start learning again because the facilities here will have different conditions. The light levels are a lot different, so it's how the plants will grow. I knew very much how the other unit worked, all its little things that it would go wrong or right. But here I'm going to have to learn it all over again. So it's going to be a big learning curve for me this year. You can find links to more information about plant propagation on our programme page at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. On the website, you can also find information about the 2019 Young School Gardener of the Year competition, which has just been launched. My name's Fuchsia Wilkins and I'm the school's communications officer for the RHS Campaign for School Gardening. 
I'm here today in the Claw Learning Centre at RHS Garden Wisley to tell you about our competition, School Gardeners of the Year. The search is on to find the UK's most inspirational young gardeners, garden educators and school gardening teams. We're accepting nominations across three categories. Young School Gardener of the Year, where we're looking for inspirational young gardeners aged between 5 and 16 who are passionate about the power of plants. We're also looking for our RHS School Gardening Champion of the Year, and that's an adult who inspires young people to grow and helps everybody around them to get out in the garden. Thirdly, we're looking for our RHS School Gardening Team of the Year, and that's groups of young people who are really keen gardeners and show excellent teamwork outdoors. In 2018, we had some outstanding winners across all three categories. Our Young School Gardener of the Year is currently Ellie Micklewright. Um, she was 15 when she won the competition, and she's from Newport High School for Girls. It was just really nice to have the recognition, not only for me, but for the, like, the gardening team, because I think we've only started a year ago, but we've already grown so much as a team and got together, and people who weren't even interested in gardening, didn't know anything about it, are now been able, having the responsibility, and have grown, and it's just really nice to see. Ellie really impressed us because um, she single-handedly secured funding to set up a gardening club at her school. She organised all the activities and she also, amazingly, got over 40 other students involved and they're now actively gardening every week at their school. Our school gardening champion of the year, Matthew Willer, is a full-time history teacher and form tutor at Reefham High School in Norfolk. With the help of his students, he set up the allotment project on a corner of the school grounds. And that's a growing space for students and community members to get together and garden sustainably for the good of the planet and for the people around them. There's a lot of pressure on young people in this world today. And yes, you must work hard. Yes, you must do exams. But school shouldn't be everything about exams. So I think getting children involved in gardening is very good for their well-being. It's good for their mental health. And it just gives them a chance to escape from the routine of school. In 2018, our School Gardening Team of the Year were students from St Gregory's Catholic Science College in Harrow. They blew us away because they designed and created a garden on an area of ground earmarked for an extension to the staff car park. And that's now become a really valuable teaching and learning space for everybody across the school. If you know an inspiring gardener you'd like to nominate for the competition this year, be aware that we've got some fantastic prizes on offer. Our School Gardening Team of the Year will be up for receiving a luxury greenhouse from Hartley Botanic and our School Gardening Champion and Young School Gardener of the Year will each receive a Hartley Botanic patio glasshouse. There's also lots of other prizes on offer including gardening tools and national gardening gift vouchers and each of our main category winners will get a day of gardening with Francis Tophill from Gardener's World. It's really easy to enter the competition, just head to our website, that's schoolgardening.rhs.org.uk and if you head to our competitions page, you'll find lots of information about School Gardeners of the Year. There's entry forms for the three categories and lots of guidance notes, so it should all be very simple. The deadline for entering is Wednesday the 24th of April. Future Wilkins. The competition is a fantastic opportunity for students, teachers and schools to demonstrate and celebrate their passion for gardening. Details are on our website. I love visiting gardens, public and private, when invited, at home or abroad.
I've just returned from France, and what struck me about the gardens I saw was the extreme hard pruning of shade trees, which you just don't see as much in the UK. And although plane trees are the real classic you'll see in French village squares, you sometimes see cut-leaf mulberries. They're grown a lot in people's gardens. The branches are trained out horizontally all the way round to create a framework, and each summer a canopy of huge glossy leaves gives glorious shade. Then, each winter, they're pruned right back to this framework again, all ready for spring. You can shade a whole patio using a couple of these trees. They're completely hardy in the UK, and you don't have this staining fruit that's going to drop onto you as you sit beneath them. I'm definitely considering planting one of these at home. February is a wonderful time for garden visiting in the UK. The gorgeous winter bark and stem colour starts to merge into the first flushes of blossom and, region and climate depending, you can often be blessed with sharp sun or crisp snow. As well as our four main RHS gardens, Hyde Hall in Essex, Harlow Carr in North Yorkshire, Rosemore in Devon and Wisley in Surrey, the RHS has a list of over 200 partner gardens. We spoke to the team that manages them to hear about some of the lovely sites you can visit this year. My name is Helen Feary and I'm the Partner Gardens Manager at the RHS. That means that I look after the gardens that have a partnership with the RHS because we only have four gardens of our own. We've um, linked up with 200 other gardens up and down the country and even 22 overseas and they open their gardens free of charge to our members so that our members have a choice of fantastic gardens to see wherever they live. We have a list of criteria um, that varies from the size of the garden. They have to be at least two acres in size so that people have enough um, to look around when they go to visit a partner garden. They have to be open to the public on a regular basis, not just for one or two days a year. And obviously they have to be horticulturally very good to meet our standards. This year we've added 10 new gardens to the scheme. They range from big landscape gardens, historical, very famous landscapes, through to smaller gardens that have have been developed maybe by a husband and wife or by a family over several years, and some gardens with great plant collections as well. I'm particularly pleased to say that we've added Stowe Gardens near Bicester, which I kept hearing about over the last few years when I've done garden history courses because Stowe has such fantastic history. Um, It's a landscape garden. Capability Brown was involved with its development and it's a classic landscape with lakes and temples and bridges and views so it's a fantastic place to go for a winter walk and take the family and enjoy getting out in the fresh air another one's Bidolf Grange which is up near Stoke-on-Trent and that one I know because of its stumpery and that was built by James Bateman it has a plant collection from all over the world with plants brought back by the Victorian plant collectors and a lot of geographically themed garden rooms so it's a really interesting one to go and see another new garden this year is the Eric Young Orchid Foundation which is on the island of Jersey and that was developed by Eric Young a renowned orchid breeder and it's all under glass so it's a brilliant garden for going to visit when the weather's a bit nasty Um, And we have other gardens under glass. Um, For example, Bicton down in Devon's got a very historic, interesting glass house full of plants. So there's always somewhere to go for shelter when it's cold and nasty outside. One that uh, has just joined the Partner Garden scheme that I really loved um, is actually one of our overseas ones. 
and I went to see it last summer. It's called Chateau de Vuron, which is in Switzerland near Lake Geneva. And they have an amazing collection of irises and also daylilies later on in the year. And that garden's been in the same family for 700 years and it was developed by the present owner's mother. So it's just really interesting family story. There's a lot of sculpture there as well and a lot of new development going on. So that's a really interesting one if you're overseas travelling. And I think in the UK, I really love East Ruston Old Vicarage, which again is a garden of lots of rooms with different themes, and that one's in Norfolk. I think in February, the main thing with garden visiting would be to get out and get some fresh air and a good walk. There are lots and lots of RHS partner gardens open for their snowdrops. So that varies from, say, Cambo in Scotland to East Lambrook Manor in Somerset. If you look on the RHS website, you can find details of uh, snowdrop opening different gardens through to events with uh, people talking about snowdrop collections and plant fairs as well. The RHS Partner Garden Scheme is important because it gives our members a really good choice of gardens to visit. We have our fifth garden opening in 2020 at Bridgewater near Stoke-on-Trent. But otherwise, uh, we have gardens in Devon, Harrogate, Surrey and Essex. And if you live in another place away from those, you might think that you haven't got any gardens to visit. But we do have these 200 gardens and they give people the opportunity to see anything from grand landscapes to smaller gardens developed with love and passion by people that really care about the gardens and the plants. Links to details of partner gardens, plus events and attractions at our main gardens, are on our programme page at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. And finally, question time. Let's join my colleagues in the advisory department to tackle a few of the thorny queries you've sent in to us this month. Hello, I'm Tony Dickerson. I'm Jenny Bowden. And I'm Lee Hunt. George Farmer's contact is from Manchester. I have a thin terrace garden with a lawn and border on both sides and the bottom. What can I grow for colour and architectural interest that aren't shrubs? The ones there originally seem to dominate and take over the garden and encroach on the lawn. And I'd like something with more different sort of colourful solutions. Jenny, what do you think? Well, grasses, I suppose, are quite architectural. They can make a lovely backdrop for herbaceous perennials. And a lot of the grasses have autumn colour as well. And some actually are evergreen. So you've got quite a, a long season of interest. And they're great for wildlife as well, because you're not cutting those down until January, February time when the new foliage comes along. So have, have a look at some of the miscanthus is a nice group of grasses. And also Calamagrostis, which is a bit of a mouthful, but that does quite well in shade as well. Obviously, having you've got a long garden with a bit at the bottom, you're going to have different uh, aspects to deal with. So it's quite useful to have some grasses that grow in shade. So Steeper Gigantia is one that is evergreen with lovely um, seed heads in the summertime. So I'd recommend that. Other perennials you might look at are Eryngiums. They're very architectural. We're spiky. They're related to the cow parsleys, but they 
don't have much resemblance. <laughs> so, but they are sort of spiky, spiny looking plants uh, when they're in flower in silvery blues. And they are very, very striking and they last a long time once they dry. So you've got that, all that interest throughout the season as well. And wildlife also likes them. The bees absolutely love them when they're fresh in flower. And for colour for a long time, herbaceous perennial wise, penstemons are a wonderful choice which that they're long flowering border plants they get to about two feet tall and they're going to flower from june all the way through to the first frosts mm. i think this is one of the things i am a bit nervous about when he's saying that they're large shrubs and they begin to dominate large shrubs are really very useful in a small space because when you see the boundaries of your garden it seems very small if you can hide the boundaries it'll actually make the garden seem bigger because you want to explore and see what's around the corner so perhaps some selective pruning to kind of make sure that you've got good long views so that you want to go beyond a shrub and see what's there but at the same time creating a bit of variation where perhaps you're snaking your way down the garden as well so those can be part of that structure so do remember that shrubs are very useful and this is more of a general principle but for color because we've got bronze leaves and so things like the pittosporum tom them golden leaves so things like choicea sundance gray leaves so things like brachyglottis sunshine they're all things that can give you good textures without being much more than three four foot tall so yeah they, they all have their place and mix with all these other plants that jenny and tony have talked about i'm sure there is a way forward here vicky lane via email Last year, I got three courgettes of four plants. What am I doing wrong? Can you tell me which varieties to choose, how to prepare the soil, to plant and to feed them? I love Italian food. So how can I prevent them getting powdery mildew as well? Well, we might come back to the powdery mildew one in a second, but three courgettes of four plants. What's going wrong? Well, it's difficult to say because we don't know what she was actually doing but all we can do really is say what they actually need um, so they want to be started off in late April early May growing from seed so ideally planting out a good sized plant is a very very good start into a sunny position lots and lots of sun a very nutritious soil with plenty of water so those are the things to really start with and then you're shouldn't need to do too much more other than water very very well so preparation perhaps is the key to it what do you think tony yeah i think incorporating plenty of organic matter whether it's garden compost or a bit of manure or whatever and courgettes certainly don't want to dry out but i think the key is nice open site plenty of sun they're not going to compete with other things they're not going to tolerate shade the problem being they're insect pollinated and if they're not in full sun they're not going to get the attention of the bees in particular and that will affect the cropping early on because it's mainly male flowers you often find early courgettes that don't actually form or they partly form and then fall away don't worry about that after two or three weeks you should find you have so many courgettes that it's very difficult to think what to do with them any varieties that you found to be more successful i think generally they're all pretty successful i tend to like the yellow skinned ones the skins are, are more tender and uh, my favorite is something called atina polka widely available from most of the seed companies but then Last year, I discovered something called barbecue mix, just some seed I was given, and that was 
normal green skin courgettes along with uh, in the mix striped courgettes and actually a courgette is a courgette and they did all very well and uh, I was very happy with all of them. Now with the warm weather last year when we hit August and it cooled off the powdery mildew seemed to come on pretty quick what would we do about that? So powdery mildew is just floating around in the atmosphere just waiting for a stressed plant so keeping the plants well watered uh, is going to be the key. What you could also do is use a product which is something called SB Plant Invigorator, but other other makes are available. Uh, basically, it puts a coating on the leaf which stops the spores penetrating into the tissues of the leaf. So that's a very, very good preventative. I think Ecoffective is another make that produces a, a similar product. And they're based on fish oils or soaps, fatty acids, that kind of thing. And that can really help, but making sure that the plants are quite well spaced out as well so that you get good air circulation. And that's really the thing is to to make them as happy as possible and then they'll be more resistant to disease. It's one of those funny things, isn't it? It's feast or famine with courgettes. And uh, last year I had spells of feast and I was certainly cutting them up into long strips and putting them in pasta because I know she says she likes Italian food. But it, it was pretty much allotment medley because what with the uh, French beans and then the, the courgettes and then just a few cubes of something like gorgonzola, they kind of got a meal ready to go. Bargain. Well, thanks for your time this week, Jenny and Tony. Thanks, Lee. That was fun. Thanks, Lee. The advice team will be back answering gardeners' questions next month. In the meantime, remember that if you're an RHS member, you can contact the team throughout the year for advice on any horticultural problem. And if you're not a member, why not join us? I'm afraid that's all we have time for today on the RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight when we'll be talking about Darwin's potato, biscuit beetles and slug deterrents. Don't miss it. Until then, from me, Jenny Bowden, and all the podcast team, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. 
Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.